Today is the 21st of January, 2023. It's the 15th day of the lunar month, which we call Wan Pra, or the Lunar Observance Day. And this is the day that the Sangha comes together to recite the Padimokha, to chant the Padimokha, the Vinaya, the Code of Discipline of 227 Rules. And in the Vinaya, there's some points that aren't uh, used in the present day, but we still uh, take care of them, we still observe them. We can compare the Vinaya to a flower, like flowers of many different types that are separated out. And we bring them, gather them together, make them into a garland, then they become even more beautiful than they were to begin with. It's like the Sangha that comes to ordain and live together. They come from many cultures, many nationalities, speak many languages. And this was before in India as well. People came to ordain from many different districts or many regions of India, many countries. Now we see that Buddhism has spread all over the world. So monks come from many different countries and cultures, gather together. And if there's no vinya, then it's not beautiful. So we see that the vinya is something important. And then we train our minds to give rise to wisdom, to know ignorance, to understand it. This is the essence of the teachings of the Buddha. So in the beginning, the Buddha taught that this ignorance in our hearts, it's something that's hard to remove, it's hard to abandon. It's something that's subtle and refined. But the Buddha contemplated on this point, and he saw that beings in the world are able to know and see, that minds with parami, with spiritual virtue, are able to know and see following in the footsteps of the Buddha. And when they're able to know the teachings like this, they become the Sangha. And the Sangha has existed continuously all the way up until the present day. And in the present we see that the world has developed more and more, developed in terms of material things. Before we see, for instance, Venerable Anuruddha, he could look at the whole world as if the world was just in the palm of his hand. This is uh, related to psychic power. This is a abhinya, a special knowledge. But now we've developed in technology in the modern world, developed in material things. And we're able to know about things all over the world. This is on a coarser level. We can know what other people are saying or thinking or doing. This is about modern technology. Even little children are able to know about these things. So we see that the world has developed materially a lot. But along with this material development, the mind doesn't develop along with it. Because with all this development, then the amount of sense impressions, 
things that come into contact with the mind uh, greatly increase. And this makes the mind more and more agitated if the mind lacks wisdom. So therefore we have to be careful to have restraint in the Padimokha, the monastic discipline. This is something important. We restrain our behavior of body and speech. And these new inventions and new uh, technologies we have, we use them only as much as is necessary so that the eye encounters visual forms only as much as necessary, hears sounds only as much as necessary, uh, tastes flavors, smells, smells, touches bodily sensations, encounters mental objects only as much as necessary. We try to know and contact sense impressions only as much as necessary to know only a little bit so that we have restraint because we're in a forest monastery and so our objective here is to know and come into contact with fewer sense impressions. We're in the forest but if we use technology a lot then it's like we're living in the city. The forest is on the outside but on the inside the mind is filled with sense impressions. So we have to be careful about this. We see that the Padimokha is that of the greatest importance. So in order to be a monastic, we abandon the sense of self. So we have to be careful, have restraint, have restraint with regard to the six senses. Bring about peace with regard to our body, speech, and mind. Because the Padimokha is with regards to our body and speech. So we speak little, speak only a little bit, and meditate a lot. Because in order to speak, we need to think first. We think, and then the thought travels down to the mouth. And this happens in just a fraction of a second. And as soon as we speak, the sense of self arises right there. So one has to be careful. If one's not careful, then the mind becomes busy and troubled, gives rise to a sense of self, of me and mine, of you and yours. So we gather together, we live in a group. We need to have loving kindness and compassion together, not to harm one another. Have restraint with regard to eating, eat enough, even if there's a lot of food, then we eat just enough. And in terms of sleep as well. And if we eat and we feel close to being full, then we drink water at that point so that we don't give rise to painful feeling in the body, so that we don't give rise to sleepiness. Because if we sleep too much, then the mind becomes muddled and drowsy. So we sleep an amount that's just right, that's enough. If we're strict, then we sleep four hours. If we can't do this, then five or six hours, so that it's enough, according to our bodily condition, our age, and other factors. And when we wake up, we wake up with effort and energy. So we do this, we train our minds in this way. We contemplate the material things that we use, the four requisites the robes we wear, the food we eat, 
the medicines we use, the lodgings we live in, when we live in places that are secluded, even when we live together, then we try not to make loud noises. We see that the monastery is, uh, we're living together in the monastery, and so we have to be careful with our use of sound, to have care and restraint, to be quiet while we're walking around the monastery, because these sounds can disturb the peace and samadhi of our friends and companions. So for instance, if we're walking near a monastic dwelling, back in the time of Wat Nongpapong, the path would just be one or two meters wide, and we'd see a monk sitting in his kuti, his monastic dwelling, and so we'd try to walk slowly, because the leaves underfoot would make sound, and as soon as the sound uh, contacts the ear of that person trying to meditate, then their mind can exit the state of samadhi. And the mind will leave the state of peace. And so we try to walk slowly on top of the leaves so as not to make much sound. This is restraint with regard to body and speech, which is the way of Dhamma practitioners. So these four requisites that we use all the time, we contemplate them. We contemplate that we use them as much as is necessary to live our lives in order to practice and train the mind to be firmly established to give rise to samadhi. Then we use our livelihood, we perform our livelihood without deception, with purity in our practice. So we see that which is important is samadhi. Having ordained already we receive the five kamatanas of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. So as having received these kamatanas, then we practice and train in them, contemplate them. These are very important, these kamatanas of the asuba type, contemplating the body. Because that which the mind is lost in and clings to is this very body. So we contemplate, or if we want to contemplate just the mind only in order to know and see the Dhamma, one needs to have very firm samadhi, samadhi that's full and highly energized. So we see that Venerable Ajahn Chah suggested to contemplate the body contemplate the skin, the flesh, the sinews, the bones, to really take a look at the body and see how it really is. See that any beauty or attractiveness the body has is only there temporarily. We think that the visual form of the body is beautiful, whether one's own body or another's body, but one sees that this beauty or attractiveness is only temporary. It's really just this, the state of ugliness being temporarily reduced, and we perceive that as beauty. Because the things that are not beautiful in the body gradually exit out of the body, like sweat and oil and so on. For instance, we put on a clean cloth that's freshly washed, and in a long time it becomes dirty. 
becomes unclean. And food as well. And also our lodgings. Our lodgings having been cleaned well, we use it and in no long time it becomes dirty and unclean again. So this is an example. We should contemplate this. We also can contemplate when we uh, have a bowel movement, we look at the excrement, we contemplate that which is unclean or dirty is in this very body. Or when the breath comes in and the breath comes out, no one wants that out-breath. And then the food comes in, the food comes out. We see that the food completely loses its value, having gone through the body. Or we drink water, the water comes out. We consider that water to be unclean and dirty. So we contemplate this, contemplate the body, to see it as something not beautiful, not attractive. And when we see in this way, the mind becomes joyful and bright. We see these natural elements according to the truth. We see them clearly. We see that the body is empty. In this way, we're able to abandon ignorance. We see that in truth, it's just these natural elements. We contemplate not self in this way, contemplate the not beautiful nature of it. And if the mind has enough strength and energy, we're able to know and see the Dhamma in that moment. If the strength of parami is not to that level, then we practice and gain peace of mind first, bring the mind to samadhi first. Then we contemplate in order to see clearly into the Dhamma. To contemplate that Whatever we cling to, whatever experience we cling to, that clinging is dukkha, is stressful, suffering. So we practice to abandon that. We see that these sense impressions arise in the mind. And we're able to separate them out and see that the mind is one thing, sense impressions are another thing. Then we're able to abandon and cut off ignorance the mind gives rise to knowing. So in the beginning we have to train, practice, patient endurance, to have restraint with regards to our behavior of body and speech, restraint in the Padimokha, to contemplate the four requisites, to contemplate the body as not beautiful, and to do this a lot. In a given day we sit and walk meditation at least four or five hours in a day. We try to do this according to our energy, to the fullness of our energy and ability. Because we've set our hearts on this already, we see the drawbacks in the cycle of birth and death. And having seen this, then we come to train our minds. And one who comes to sit in meditation is one who sees the drawbacks in the cycle of birth and death the cycle of samsara. We bring the mind that's agitated, we bring that mind to stillness. We strive to do this. If we lack virtue, then we give rise to virtue. Practice the five precepts and then the eight precepts. We do this to bring the mind to freedom from suffering. We train in the 227 precepts 
And in order to do this, we have to abandon let go of many things. But we see that the quality of being a monastic is found in the quality of abandoning. The monastic is found in abandoning. And sometimes we can't let things go, we still cling to them, but we're still a monastic of one type. But the monastic that is the best type is the monastic that's able to abandon attachment, to let go of attachment. Just like we chant, Subhatipano, Samichi Patipano, Nyaya Patipano. So we contemplate and practice and train in this way. We've set our hearts to sacrifice and give up already, so therefore we should strive in the practice. And for the lady, striving in the practice, the lady are able to be monastics as well. Whether male or female, it doesn't matter because that quality is found within the heart. So may you all persevere and have effort in this. <laughs>